Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Miskaming, and I have three hours jam-packed worth of some great, great sports talk this morning, and a lot of big news in the world of sports this week, both locally, regionally, nationally, and hey, even internationally. We'll talk about some, probably the biggest sports story. What most people, especially outside of the U.S., would consider the biggest sports story in the world this week. We'll talk all about that later on. Got a bunch of great guests this morning. We got at 7.30, we got Lauren's wide receiver, Jaden McGowan, joining me. Talk to him about some of one of some of the things going on with him. He had a couple of big offers this week. Talk about how he's staying ready for next season. We'll talk to Lou Bejack from the state at eight. Talk to him primarily about the SEHSL meeting that happened earlier this week and get his thoughts on everything that's going on in the SEHSL as we get ready for next season. And then at 8.30, in preparation for the South Carolina spring game that has been officially moved back to Sunday due to weather, was originally supposed to be tomorrow, but now pushed back to Sunday, we will have Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show joining us at 8.30 talking about his thoughts on the spring game, what he expects to see, his thoughts on spring practice, and all of that good stuff. So lots of things to talk about this morning. We'll kick it off with some high school news. Start off We'll actually start things off with some recruiting news. Talk about all the recruits in the area that got offers this week. Deuce Caldwell from Malden had another big week this week, getting more and more offers, offered by West Virginia, Minnesota, and Army. Army is going to be a a recurring theme this week when it comes to recruiting. Army very busy in the Palmetto State this week. 
we'll def- definitely want to try to get Deuce on the show at some point. Uh, we'll try to do that at some point soon. DQ Smith from Spring Valley was offered by Georgia Southern. Zach Chalmers from Newberry offered by Campbell and Army. Tyler Smith from Gaffney was offered by Howard. Xavier Short from Chapman, he continues to get offers, was offered by Middle Tennessee State and Army. Another Army guy, another Army offer. Trey McLeod from Trinity Collegiate. And rounding it out, Jaden McGowan, who we will have on the show in just a little bit, from Lawrence, offered by two of the three service academies, offered by what some would say is the most important rivalry uh, in in college football, and that is Army and Navy. On the basketball court, Jonah Clowney continues to get offers from Dorman, offered by Indiana and Georgia. Those are some two big-time offers. Gregory Jackson from High Point, or excuse me, from Ridgeview was offered by High Point. Houston Jones from Dutch Fork was offered by Presbyterian. His dad, Brett, played at Presbyterian, so have that legacy connection there. That may influence his decision. And rounding out basketball, Julian Phillips from Blythewood was offered by both USC and Indiana. So that's also two big-time offers for him. And one coming from the West Coast, that's that's very big for the state of South Carolina. On, on the girls' side, Anala Nelson from Laura Richland was offered by Austin P. And two commits this week, Josias Addison from Blythewood was committed to Charleston Southern. while Gavin Taylor from Brooklyn Casey committed to Wofford. Cool news, like I mentioned, you know, the the big talking point this week or the the big storyline around the state this week was the SCHSL meeting on Wednesday. Lots of things coming out of that meeting. We'll get to those in a little bit before we but before we get to that some other notes uh, White Knoll upgraded Derek Kirtan from just their interim head coach to their head ba- their full-time head basketball coach. Congrats to him. Chris Howell was named the new Carleton County football head football coach. His father was a head coach here in South Carolina. And Scott Eisberg had a great interview with him on Wednesday, uh, posted it up on Twitter. So be sure to go give that a uh, watch. Locally, on the baseball diamond, the, Will Howard was named as the new baseball coach at Sumter. So congrats to him. Kind of weird seeing him come in halfway through the season or towards the end of the season. But congrats to him all the same not not making it into the playoffs or anything like that. That's definitely he's looking to get Sumter back into the upper echelons of Region Six Five A. And a surprising one here locally, 
unfortunately, we're not was not able to get either Ian Garen or Brandon Dunn on this week. So no local report for you guys this week. But next week, uh, if if I'm able to get one of those two on or someone else on, we'll definitely ask about this because this was a big surprise to me. And it was something – Carolina Force has been keeping it very on the down low with it. Haven't really revealed much in terms of a reason – uh, but I personally, lo- you know, would definitely like to know why Joey Worley just out of the blue resigns as the base as the manager for the Carolina Forest baseball team. It was a big surprise right after they had beat uh, St. James, or excuse me, I I think it was Sockesty that they beat in their third game of the three game series. Uh, and so it was it was really surprising to see especially considering you know the Panthers were right on the right on the precipice of making it into the playoffs so all they had to do was beat St. James a couple of times and they were in and i wonder how much the fact that Worley wasn't there played an impact on them losing this week to St. James and thus losing out on the playoffs. Another Sumter uh, news piece, uh, this time on the football field, and this is a big blow to the Gamecocks. Davin Jackson, their star defensive end, who has been getting offers galore, He's moving to Georgia. No indication on what school he'll be attending. But his family apparently is moving to Georgia, and he will spend his senior season in Georgia. So the Gamecocks lose one of their key pieces on defense. And, you know, it it also doesn't help because... They're already losing Justice Boone, who's going to Florida. He he was a senior. And so you're now losing your other side of that defense in in uh in Jackson. That defensive line, which when I saw them, they weren't as quite as amazing as I thought they would be going into that game against Carolina Forest, but they're still good. You know, the fact that you had two guys on either side of the ball that had Division One offers, that's impressive. So the fact that you go, you now go from two all the way down to zero is yeah, that's going to be a big blow to this Sumter team. You know, they still have pieces. They still have Montique Rams, who is only a who will be going into his junior year. Uh, you know, he he can step in and and fill that void a little bit. But it's going to be a situation where Sumter. And and not to mention, you know, they're they're losing Nathan Harris Wick. 
They're losing some other pieces this year. I don't think they're going to be... This, this is a prime position for a team like Carolina Forest, and, and you can call me a homer all you want because I call their games. But this is a prime position. Now, granted, Carolina Forest is also losing pieces. They're losing some top-notch guys. But I think they, they've they already proven that they can rebuild and, and you know... Oh, for those of you who watch wrestling, I'll use Seth Rollins' old uh, old quote. Uh, rebuild, well, remake, rebuild, reclaim. I forget what the first one was, but rebuild and reclaim. But, so, they've already shown that they're capable of doing that. Now, whether or not they're able to is another question. But I think with with Sumter losing as many pieces as they have, I think it's a prime opportunity for Carolina Forest to take you know you know get the the region title back. But we'll have to wait and see. That's something we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, big news when it comes to the playoffs this season, especially in 5A. Some other notes, uh, Aiden Lee from uh, is transferring from Pendleton out of state, or is transferring into Pendleton from out of state, from Robinson. So Pendleton gets a uh, a nice piece to help them out. And the ESPN Top 60 for the class of 2022 came out. Jadzian Gortman from Keenan is ranked 20th. And Julian Phillips, who we talked about before, from Bledswood, ranked 39th. South Carolina Baseball Coaches Association, after a while of not releasing any polls, uh, did release a new poll this week. In 5A, number one, Somerville, number two, Blythewood, number three, Lexington, number four, Berkeley, Dutch Fork is at five, Sockestee's at six, J.L. Mann's at seven, T.L. Hanna at eight, Dorman's at nine, and tied for tenth is Hillcrest and Burns. In 4A, A.C. Florida's at the top at one, Eastside's at two, Hartsville's three, Easley is four, West Florence is five. York is 6, James Island is 7, North Augusta is 8, North Merrill Beach is ninth, and Airport is 10th. In 3A, Brooklyn Casey is at 1, especially for baseball. Them moving down from 4A to 3A has helped them immensely. Now, Now, granted, I think even if they were in 4A this year, they would still be a powerhouse team. Now, would they be better than a, than AC Flora? That's up for debate. And they'd have some competition in because they were in Region Seven. They they would have had, or excuse me, they were they were in Region Five. Never mind. Excuse me, my bad. Um, but I they would have been good. They would have been in the top ten definitely uh, if they were in Four A. 
but the fact that they've dropped down to 3A has helped them immensely this year. And I think they're the team to beat in, in 3A this season. At two is Chapman. Bishop England's at three. Oceanside Collegiate's at four. Blue Ridge is at five. Wren's at six. Powderville at seven. Belton Hanea Path at eight. Strom Thurmond at nine. And Ainer rounds it out at ten. In 2A, Landrum's at one. Andrew Jackson's at two. Great Collegiate's at three. Legion Collegiate's at four. Abbeville's at five. Crescent's at six. Chester Veal's at seven. Chesney's at eight. Andrews is at nine. And Shaw's at ten. And then rounding it out in 1A, Southside Christian, who has been utterly dominant in every sport in 1A, and I have a feeling that come next season, obviously next season still with this current realignment, we'll talk about realignment in a little bit as well. But I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be pressuring the SEHSL to move Southside Christian back up to 2A in the next realignment. We'll see if they do or not. But the fact that they won the football championship, they won the basketball championship, they've been dominant in every sport this year. I have a feeling they'll move back up to 2A. That's just my opinion, though. East Clarendon comes in at 2. Louisville's at 3. Bamberg Earhart's at 4. Green Sea Floyd's is at 5. Ridge Spring Manetta is at 6. Lakeview at 7. Rip Whitmire at 8. Dixie at 9. And Branchville is at 10. One other big note, uh, one other big news piece that came out this week uh before we transition, we'll I'll give you the uh, the football uh, week one matchups that came out this week. Before we before we get to Jaden McGowan at seven thirty, but before we get to that, one big news piece that came out this week: uh, Ori County Schools, and this is something. This is something that everyone anticipated, everyone expected, everyone knew was going to happen. But Ori County school, Schools officially um, came out, now with basketball season over, said, uh, announced that schools in the county lost $270,000 this past season in football and basketball due to the restrictions as a result of COVID. And they are considering giving a distribution to the schools to offset those losses in revenue and to even out the books. I think this is a great move by Horry County Schools, helping out the schools, because they lost money through no no fault of their own. Yes, Horry County Schools is also hurting, but if you really think about it, as a result of not having to worry about busing 
worrying about, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, I'm sure, I don't know the, the specifics, but I feel like they had less expenses this year than they would have in a normal year. So this is a great goodwill, a, a great, you know, you know, goodwill moment, outreach moment for the district to say, hey, we're going to help you out. We're going to offset those losses in revenue to you guys as a result of the pandemic. Kind of surprising, but not all that surprising at the same time. I mean, considering the success, it's not really all that surprising. But even, you know, being being around the program, I'm surprised at how well they did. The top team that was hurt the most uh this this uh the top team that was hurt the most over this for both football and basketball uh was North Myrtle Beach lost over $32,000 in football and over 11,000 in basketball so they will certainly like the help They will certainly appreciate the help coming from the district. And now, in an ideal world, this would be something that every other county and every other district would be looking at and saying, "Hey, let's do that. Let's let's reimburse our our programs for losing all of this money this year." But unfortunately. A lot of districts do not have the resources and the money that Horry County Schools have in order to do that. You know, Richland Schools probably would have that. Uh, Florence County Schools probably would have that. Charleston County Schools would probably have that. But outside of that, doubt any other districts have that kind of money. Now granted the the losses may not be as big at the same time. So you may not have to worry about it as much. But I don't think a lot of the districts have that kind of money laying around that they can just, you know, give up. We'll see though. It it's gonna be interesting to see if that If this starts a chain reaction and this starts to become a, a trend, I'd like to see it happen, but I'm not sure if it will or not. So we got a few minutes before uh, before Jay McGowan comes on. Uh, oh, actually, we got a caller on. Hey, how's it going? Brandon, Richie down here in Charleston, man. Hey, Great start the morning. From the grand strands of the low country, we say good morning, my friend. I'm glad to see the side of line. I got an athlete, got a beat rider coming in here, got old boy from Columbia that does a great job covering the Gamecocks, man. It'll be a solid show for you, man. Indeed it will. Indeed it will. How's it been going down in the low country for you? 
but you broke up a bit there, man. But I tell you, the, the main reason I wanted to call, man, is because I'm so excited to see the spring sports taking place. My alumni up there where you are, the Braves, Dockacy seems like they could have something special coming up in the playoffs if they keep that thing. They didn't get hot too early. Um, of course, uh, all the other spring sports in the state are happening. And then uh, spring ball for football, right? I mean, we're here. We're, we're getting ready to happen, uh, uh, to have that conversation here in just a couple of weeks. And uh, that's exciting. And, of course, you're seeing all the schedules coming out for high school mm-hmm. football. I know you're excited about the board. You know, uh, of course, um, Carolina Force oh, matchup. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of other big games on that schedule for Fort, man, because you see they're playing, you know, Myrtle Beach. They're playing Carolina Force. They're going up to, to Dorman. Um, so there's a lot of games there. And then uh, Ocean, uh, Oceanside's got some big matchups on their roster where they're going to be a 3A team playing a bunch of 5A teams. So I think one thing we learned in COVID is that, uh, you know what, play the big dogs, you know, do what you got to do, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. So they're lining up a lot of schedules. A lot of schedules you're seeing across the state are lining up with a lot of big hitters. They're not just playing some of the smaller schools anymore. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, Carolina yeah. Forest, like you mentioned, on that, on that same yeah. level, you you and I are going to have a really fun uh, time on the 10th, having that rivalry go on between the Ford and, and Carolina Forest. Uh, but also on top of that, like you mentioned, Carolina Forest getting to see two brand new brand new stadiums this season, heading out to West Florence and seeing their new digs as well as going out to Ridgeview and, and seeing their new stadium and then obviously playing against Myrtle Beach. So there there's gonna be uh there's gonna be a lot of fun matchups in those fir- in that first month of uh of the football schedule and it's 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 gonna be a lot of fun to see uh how how all these teams do now uh COVID and and getting back into, you know, their regular playing uh, position. And, and and then on top of that, you know, we while I've got you on, we got the new SEHSL, or we got the SEHSL meeting uh, this past week on Wednesday. Uh, are you surprised? I, I'm, I'm disappointed but not surprised that they didn't even consider changing up the playoffs at all, and it's basically just back to business as usual next year? Well, you know, I, I think this is where the coaches want, okay? I've had so many on our show on Monday and Thursday, and, and everyone seems like either they bought into uh, the, the idea of keeping it the way it is, or that's what they believe, right? I mean, it's kind of an all-in process with the coaches' association, and every coach that came on said, they like the season the way it is, and they like to have the playoff the way it is because it gives that opportunity for somebody to have that quote-unquote Cinderella season. Um, you know, so I, I'm not really surprised. I don't think that the high school league wants to rock the boat with the high school coaches right now. Uh, you saw the power that they had when they all united on that Tuesday or Monday night after our show. We put it out there that there were some rumors mm-hmm. that they were going to not have spring ball. They all went into a, a, a group chat about, I would say, couple hundred of them and, and stood up together and for the first time that I've ever heard there be something on the docket for a vote did not get one yay everything was nay basically saying you know uh, we're going to keep the spring sport so yeah I mean I, I get it Brandon you know my thing is this 
as much football as we can have is a good thing. I don't really know what better system. I think we, we missed out on on some of these teams. And, and in a place like, uh, you know, certain regions where they've got three or four really good teams, like in the upstate and with mm-hmm. Greenville missing out, yeah. you know, that, that right there kind of was a head scratcher for me because the two teams that made it ahead of them were beating the very first round. So who's to say Greenville didn't go in deeper than that? So, I understand. You know, I remember the days uh, you weren't down here then, but we had the Sweet 16, and that was that was a whole other conversation. So there are things that they want to look at doing. I just don't want to see them cutting teams with opportunities out. But don't reward a 500 team. I think there needs to be uh, some type of caveat saying that look, you've got to be 650 or above or 700 or above. We're not going to reward you with a 500 schedule. That that's why. I remember, you know, I had a whole show about it uh, back in October. That's why I thought that the three teams per region system worked perfectly because it gave you that balance. It gave you that extra team that, you know, may not – that wouldn't make it under the two-team system, but while also made the regular season important in a way and also made region championships more important – because it gave you that first round bye. So, you know, that's why I thought that, you know, I wish that the SEHSL would have at least, you know, considered some other alternative means. I understand why they didn't do it, but it's still something that, you know, especially after we talked about it back in October, was something that I thought could could have been something there. Well, you know, Brandon, the one thing I'll say is this. The one thing I did really like about the season, that it was a lot like college football because every game made a difference, right? Every region game was like you. some teams were knocked out after the first two games. I mean, it made you – there was a lot more on the line, a lot more to physically see, not just mentally, because mentally they're taught that all the way from spring ball to getting in and out of the weight room to coming into the August month to midway through the season – but, no, the reality was is that if you're not in the first two positions, right, you're not in the playoffs. I mean, you're seeing that right now with baseball and softball and soccer and, and tennis and golf, that they're only taking the top two other than a few regions. Like, I think the Myrtle Beach region up there with yep. all those teams because it's a larger team, there's more teams well, in it. Because but, it's because you know, the lower state – yeah, well, the only reason why that's possible is because in 4A, the lower state only has three regions. So you have right. to have you have that extra slot available for the at-large bids, uh, and that's what caused that to be possible. So the top three in Region Six may, make it in, and that's why you know it was so crazy about Greenwood, Greenville, and and uh, and Gaffney, or not Gaffney. Um, I'm drawing a blank on or Greer. Okay. Uh, Greenville, Greenwood, and Greer last last year with football was that you know if that was in the lower state that you know Greenville would have gotten in, but um, so yeah, right. th- thanks a lot for joining me, Richie. Uh, got I've got Jaden on, so uh, we'll talk to you uh, later. You got it, man. Hey, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Appreciate you guys. Yep. Yep. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Richie. And like I mentioned, got Jaden McGowan on, Lauren's wide receiver. Speaking of Region 2, 4A, Jaden, how's it going this morning? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, first off, c- 
congrats on the offers uh, this week. Um, you know, two two big offers. How much does it mean to you to be offered by the service academies? It means a lot. I've been working really hard in the off season, well during season and off season. So to see that it's finally starting to pay off by those two schools in particular, it's a really big deal to me. Uh, obviously, you know the service academies come with extra responsibilities. Have you had that talk with your parents about? that potential of you going to one of those schools and what it entails? Yes, sir. We've been talking about it ever since um, I finally got the interest. But since we, since I got the two offers, we've been talking about it a lot more, taking it more seriously now. Have they said anything or given you any insight on what they think about it? What would you say? It was breaking up. Have they given you any thoughts or given you their Insight on, think their, you know, what are their thoughts about you potentially going that route? Oh, they're um, they're really supportive about it. So they really like the idea of it, and they think they know that it'll, those two schools will breed like amazing people. You're instantly successful as you graduate from there. Uh, I know you don't have any more offers right now, but have you had any other schools show interest yet or any other schools talking to you? Uh, I, I just started talking to Harvard yesterday, and I have a Zoom call with them tomorrow morning with my parents. Wow, go, going from the service academies to Ivy League, that's quite a uh, <laughs> that's quite a disparity there. Uh, what, talking about last season, uh and going into your senior year, what can you most learn from last season and and in terms of how you can improve going into your senior season? I can learn to just stay positive throughout the whole thing. So last year with the, um, with the shortage of games, if you lost two games, you were instantly out of the playoffs. So our team lost the first two region games, I think. Yeah. So we didn't have a chance at playoffs, and everyone got kind of down. So I just know to stay positive this year, and I have to be more of a leader. I'm going to be a senior, so I have to really encourage my team to stay positive about the whole thing. Yeah, you you mentioned the region games, your first two region games, and you play in one of the toughest regions in the state. How much of how much does the talent and competition in the region prepare you for heading to the next level? It really helps me. I I could see differences in how I was being guarded. Like usually it would be a lot easier than it was. I had a lot better people guarding me, a lot better people to tackle. It was just it was just tougher, so it's giving me some more competition to get prepared for the next level. With how the format was last season, like you mentioned, with the with only two teams uh, making it, it caused a bit of a stir in your region last year caused Greenville to miss out on the playoffs in spite of having a winning record. Uh, how much do you think that's going to play a role this season with Greenville wanting to get a little bit of a revenge on everyone for missing out on the playoffs last year? And they're going to be tougher this year because of that. I can already tell. They're just they're coming back, and they're, they wanted more than ever now since they missed their chance last year. That's some really good juniors last year, and now for their senior season, they're coming back harder. What 
for for Lawrence, what do you guys need to do to take that next step and get to a level where you can compete with the the three big boys in, in region in region two? We need to just stick to the game plan, make the right reads, make the right tackles, like just making simple plays. We we were making simple mistakes last year that we've been we've started to fix like immediately. So we've been really we've been getting a lot better and I know we'll be a lot better this year. You think that the team is gonna take a big step forward this year? Yes, sir, for sure. One final question before I let you go. The the real question, you were offered by both of the two service academies, and what a lot of people say is the most important rivalry in game of the season. Right now, I know you've got the offer from both, but are you go Army or are you anchors away? I can't even answer that right now. I'm not sure. It's a tough decision. I haven't even... It's going to take a while to decide, honestly. Of course, of course. Well, good luck with everything. Good luck with getting more offers and getting ready for your senior season. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining me this morning, Jaden. Thank you. That was Jaden McGowan, Lawrence wide receiver, getting two. Two big offers this week. Uh... And yeah, you know, get getting a lot of look, you know, the those two offers are huge, and and that's quite the the craziness. And and I've mentioned this on the show before, and I've mentioned it when I was covering for for the high school blitz show, uh, that it's so great to see, you know, Army and Navy, not surprising, you know, you expect them to, you know have the um you know them to have a a strong team and everything but it's so great to see a lot of these players getting offers from the likes of Harvard from the likes of Yale from the likes of Penn uh the likes of Princeton the Ivy League schools because for so long, and you even not as much as you've seen it in the past. I would say over the past decade, it's it, it's dipped a good bit. But every now and again, over the past decade, you would see a story about it of of one of the top recruits needing help with. You know, needing to you know find someone to take their SAT for them, et cetera, et cetera. You know the the stuff. You know the academic issues that in the past were so prevalent with big time high school athletes because that was their main focus. It was athletics first, and then everything else was a far far second. And now to see so many guys, and and not just, you know, guys that, you know, athletically couldn't make it onto a powerhouse team, but their academics are great, so they get into, they they go to Harvard or Yale. But top-ranked athletes 
who could go anywhere they want. Getting the offers from Harvard and Yale because they also have the academics in order to get in. That's that's impressive. And and that's something that I love to see. But moving on, as we have about a little under 20 minutes before Lou Bejack joins us from the state at 8 o'clock, um, we'll, like I mentioned, talk about um, some week one matchups that came out this week. Like Richie mentioned when he called in, uh, more and more schedules coming out each and every day, and just about... For the most part, just about every team has released their schedule thus far. Uh, we'll start up in, in, in the upstate. Ridge Spring Mineta uh, will face off against Batesburg-Leesville. Central will face off against Scotts Branch. Hockey will face off against Greenville. Field will face off against Columbia. McBee will face off against Hannah Pamplico. Goose Creek will face off against Oceanside. Wren will face off against Dutch Fork. Like Richie mentioned, Fort Dorchester will face off against Berkeley. Sumter will face off against Lakewood. Andrews will face off against Georgetown. Lake City will face off against Dillon. And most importantly, for me personally, Carolina Forest will play West Brunswick to start off the season. And like I mentioned, Carolina Forest, also scheduled to play Fort Dorchester, will head to West Florence. So they will see two brand-new state-of-the-art facilities. Maybe it'll give – you know, I I talked to uh, Ian Guerin a few months ago. about the potential of Horry County schools doing what Florence Florence One has done this season and create and building brand new stadiums for each of their programs. Now it would be a little bit of a longer process for Horry County because there's more schools. But maybe this will give you know, between Mer- well, Myrtle Beach already has one. They don't need a new stadium. But between North Myrtle going out to West Florence, now granted, North Myrtle Beach has a great stadium already. They, you know, it's grass, but they paint it up and everything. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them keep their field the way it is. Carolina Forest, St. James, Conway, maybe them seeing the Florence schools this season. Maybe it'll give them the kick in the pants that they need to say, you know, go to Horry County schools and say, hey, let, let's get let's let's get some turf fields. Let's get some you know more. Uh, let's get some better stadiums, you know. But we'll see. You know, but that'll be a good matchup uh, facing off against Fort Dorchester, going out to Ridgeview. They've got some good games and, and some fun matchups this season. So, 
the big talking point that I'll be talking to Lou Bezak in a little over 15 minutes about that we'll cover right here and get you ready for my discussion with Lou in, in a little bit is the SEHSL meeting on Wednesday. And they covered a lot this week. We'll start off with the most mundane, at least I would say, the most mundane uh, news to come out of the meeting on Wednesday. They will stick with their, their scrimmage schedule from last year. There will be two scrimmages and one jamboree allowed this season. Prior to COVID, it was four scrimmages and one jamboree. So it's, it appears to me, at least, I'll ask Lou about this when he comes on, but it would seem as though, especially with that, seemingly everything else is going back to the way it was, that this is something that's here to stay. And it seems to be a trend. It's been a trend in the NFL. Uh, it's been a trend in college. That in order to avoid injuries and and avoid more potential risk, that preseasons have been diminished. And COVID gave them the excuse to diminish them last year. And now with them sticking to it after they're changing everything back to the way it was before COVID, I have a feeling that this is something that's here to stay. Like I mentioned, I'm going to talk to Lou about that in just a little bit, ask him what his thoughts on that are, whether he thinks this is an indication that that's here to stay or not. But we'll see. Football championships. We'll move back to one site. We'll ask what Lou thinks. No official announcement on the locale. I think everyone would have to assume it's going back to Williams Bryce if it's if possible. We'll I'll ask Lou about that as well when he comes on. The big news is that it will be moving to three days instead of two. Now they also, they are also changing it back to just one site instead of it being two even before you know before COVID. Five A, four A, and three A played at Williams Bryce, and two A and one A played at Benedict. And a lot one thing that a lot of people complained about with the Williams Bryce one was that that middle game to kind of just be jammed in there. And was kind of thought as an afterthought. And I can get that. I can understand that. And that's why I completely am behind this move to extend it to three days. Yes, it kind of makes things a little wonky. In terms of scheduling and everything. Um, and, And in terms of fans being able to come out. But I think it works. It works. It gives each team more of a spotlight on them. It gives it, it gives each classification more of a spotlight on them. And what I like as well 
is that they're doing a rotation to where not every, not every year a certain classification is going to be the the team for the Thursday night game or the headliner on Saturday night. So they're going to have a rotation. Uh, this year, it will be 4A. That will be the Thursday night game, the sole Thursday game. 2A will play Friday afternoon. 3A will play Friday night. 1A will play Saturday afternoon, and 5A will play Saturday night. So, it you know, I personally like it, and I really hope they go back to williams Bryce. If you follow me on Twitter, at Bisco on the air, I, I had a little, you know, I was talking to Jed Blackwell uh, a little bit about this, how if they can give them the proper recognition and and not make it seem like an afterthought as he meant as he said then williams bryce needs to be the place it is it's it's closer it's more centrally located than death valley which helps and gives the it gives the players something to look forward to I remember when I was in high school, wasn't on the football team, but was in the band. When my high school made it to the state championship game, we got to go to Giant Stadium. You know, now it's at, at MetLife. But back then, it was still Giant Stadium, the, the original Giant Stadium. And being able to know that we're going to be able to walk out of the tunnel and on the Giants and the Jets play on. That was exciting. You know, that's something you remember for the rest of your life, no matter where you go forward. And a lot of these players, especially in the lower divisions, aren't going to have the chance to go to a Division One program and play in these big stadiums. Yes, you don't get the full atmosphere because it's not a capacity crowd, but it's still a moment for these players to be able to play on a Division One SEC field. So don't take that away from them just for you know money considerations or whatever the reasoning behind it may be. If they don't go back to Williams Bryce, give them their moment. Allow them to have that experience. I think I, I'd have to go through it. I'd have to go through it and do some research. But now, obviously, this year may be a little different. But I think just about every other state in the country, at least that has a big-time either pro- or college stadium available to them play their state championship games in said venue. So don't take this away from them. Go back to williams Bryce. I love the new format because it, it, I think it just works. Uh, but yeah, 
keep keep the format. Moving over to baseball or basketball, excuse me. Basketball playoffs will go back to two sites for the semis and one site for the finals. There is the option to have the semis at high school neutral sites necessary. Like I said with football. I personally, now, basketball isn't as prestigious. Well, for for the finals it is, if they go back to colonial life. But the semis aren't as much. I personally have a bit of a fun, you know, I I kind I personally kind of want to get to the Florence Civic Center at some point, just because I I remember it as the you know and, and for those of you who are wrestling fans, you probably know what I'm about to say. Florence Florence Civic Center is the place where Beware of Dog '96 happened, and that infamous storm that knocked out the broadcast through. So I, just just for that and just to be able to reference that on the air, I would love to be able to get there. And I understand that it's falling apart and, you know, no one really likes going there. But even outside of that, uh, you know, I'm sure you could figure out – I mean, they do it with Colonial Life. I'm sure you could figure out some way and, and – I mean, I would say, well, this is even more centrally located, at least to me, or at least in in my point of view, than you could put it at Coastal. Or if you wanted to go even more centrally located, go to Charleston Southern or go to College of Charleston. One of those two facilities I think would be great for the semifinals in the in the lower state. Upstate, you'd have to kind of try to figure that out. I that I'm that I ha- I'd have to look more into because I'm not sure you know, Wofford, I'm not sure how centrally located that would be. Clemson is way up up in the upstate. So that wouldn't be centrally located. But that's um But I, I'm just I'm I'm hoping that they do go to neutral sites instead of having it just be at high school venues because I think I I get that they do it for football so you know you don't have that argument there but basketball has always had it so it's been okay you know this is something that um you'd lo- you'd love to see I would love I, I personally I want to see baseball get uh, of a venue to do the games. You could do it at like the fi- you could do it at the Firefly Stadium or at, you know, at uh Founders Park. I would love to see that. I I want more of these big time stadiums. I understand the cost and all of that. But I want to see more of it instead of less personally. So I'm hoping that they go back to what it is. Speaking of baseball, baseball season for next season will get pushed back a week 
and a week will get added. So not really pushed back a week, but a week will get added to the front of the schedule uh, for the season, at, extending it from seven weeks to eight weeks. We'll talk to Lou about uh, how this will play out and how it will impact things. Um I'm going to take a quick break, not completely finished with all of the news that came out uh, this week from the SEHSL, but I will talk about it with Lou from the state, Lou Bejai from the state coming up in just a little bit. So stay tuned right here to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached, head is matted black, got the bushes black to match, riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche, I've been in a valley, you ain't been up off that porch now, can't nobody tell me nothing. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscoping, and as we wait for Lou Bejack from the state to join me, I'll finish off uh, the rest of the news uh, for from the SEHSL meeting, which we'll get Lou's thoughts on all of it in just a little bit. Like I mentioned with Richie Altman earlier, uh, we've got the playoffs 
going back to four qualifiers per region, going back to the status quo, and no real discussion on the potential even of that being any different. Talked a little about that, see if that there was any talk about that potentially changing at all uh, when he comes on. Realignment has been discussed. No official decision yet on how realignment will be determined next season. But the it it's been uh it's been proposed that it will consist of eighty percent enrollment, ten percent location, and ten percent what is called economic score slash poverty in, index. I'll ask Lou about that, uh what that exactly means in just a second. Uh, and as Lou is joining us right now, Lou, good morning. Morning, Brandon. How are you? Good, good. Like I was mentioning, SKHL had their executive meeting this week. Big news was that the football championship games are being expanded from two days to three days, all in one venue. What were your thoughts on the move, and how is this going to help uh, each classification get the recognition they deserve during the finals? Well, it's it's going to be spread out. Um, I think it's a little bit better, especially logistically, if you're having it in one site. Uh, three games, football games in one day is kind of a lot. And kids, I mean, <laughs> you get there, basically, you don't even warm up. You're warming on a practice field. You're doing practice field, and then your locker rooms, I mean, you can't really get in the locker room until like halftime. So like for some of the, if you're not the first game. So I think it just spreads it out um, and uh, lets everyone uh, enjoy it a little more. And uh, I know there's a Thursday night game. You may, whoever plays the Thursday night game, I mean, it's going to rotate every year. So class 4A um, will get it this year. So uh, so they, they wouldn't play the, Thursday game than the following year. I mean, you're just pre- preparation wise. I mean, you just have you have to adjust a little bit. But a lot of teams play Thursday night games, and you're just basically going to have to practice on that Sunday that week. Um, maybe even the Saturday uh, walkthrough or uh, a film session. So that that that'll be the biggest difference. Um, there, there'll be a two o'clock game on that, that Friday, which I don't think's a, a big deal. But uh, the the plan is now to play them all at one site, which uh, wherever it is, if it's Williams Bryce, if it's Benedict, which uh, Benedict might be the 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 best answer. They they did a good job last year hosting it at limited capacity. They've coasted Class A and 2A. I don't know with the the bigger schools how it will be for like a 4A 5A at full capacity. Uh, I think you'll be able to pack it pretty good, and the parking's not bad. So we'll see. Uh, the big thing with Williams Bryce is the cost. So um, I mean. SC State could be a possibility. Clemson, uh, maybe maybe somewhere in the Low Country as as well. So uh, I think it's a I, I think it's a good move. Uh, most of the people I've talked to um, didn't have a problem with it. I, I think you're going to see that on the basketball level as well. Um, they they said that they're going to have it at one venue um, this year. I think you're going to see it spread out over three or four days instead of two, um, j- just like they did this year. They had to for COVID. So I think you're going to see that uh, for basketball as well. It just wasn't uh, voted on uh, this week. You, you mentioned the the one issue that some people brought up 
was the limited time because of you know the the normal week schedule that coaches normally have uh have coaches said anything especially in 4a now that they know that they would be the thursday game have any coaches said anything to you since the decision has come out about what they think about that potential I talked to a couple 4A coaches, maybe one that might have a chance to play on that Thursday game. I mean, they're they're fine with it. I mean, um, <laughs> it is what it is. A couple years ago, they had to do it like that when they moved the championships up a day because of the weather. So I think it just gives you flexibility. Um, I think if you make it to the championship game, you're not going to care that one extra day. Like I said, you, you'll just have a practice on a Sunday. I mean, you'll just move your week. Um, and like I said, there's schools, a lot of schools play Thursday games, so you just adjust to there. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a big issue. Um, and you get a showcase. You get the whole game, whole day, whole game uh, to yourself and uh, the state watching that one game that, that Thursday night. You, you mentioned what you thought what your opinion was on the venue location where you thought it should be. What are you hearing anything yet as to do you expect it to go back to Williams Bryce? Will it be at Benedict again? What what's the consensus as of right now where it may end up? Uh, I think it's too early to tell. You saw how <laughs> was the the yeah. venue this year. Uh, um, uh, I think you won't know until the fall. I think it's going to be the cost issue. That that was the biggest thing. Uh, Williams Bryce, the extra fees and the cost that they had um, that schools have had to pay and basically takes away from your profit and takes away from the league's uh, profit as well. And uh, most of the schools were in favor of either having it at like a different college like Benedict, South Carolina State, or even Spring Valley. I mean, Spring Valley was a good place that hosted uh, uh, championships this year. I think the issue would be the parking um, and limited capacity. They were fine. And you'll have the time and space in between games, but I think Spring Valley's parking issue is the biggest thing. I mean, there's other state schools around the state that could possibly host it. The, the only drawback would be that Thursday, Friday afternoon game. I mean, if you're in school, unless you just don't have school that day at that uh, place, um, th- that would be the biggest issue. So, yeah, I think Williams Bryce, there's a chance, but I, I wouldn't. I don't think it's a lock that it's going to be going back there. And the same for Bas- basketball as well. Yeah. Spe- speaking of basketball, uh, they also decided to go back to the semis being at regional sites, but with a provision for potential neutral high school sites. What would you prefer seeing and what do you think will happen there? I like the one site so you can just see everyone in that um, like I said, I think it might – well, it's already spread out over two days for the uh, state semifinals. You might see it spread out over three days. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I like – it was kind of cool, though, Then some of the neutral sites. Uh, I got to go to a few. Uh, Lander hosted one, and it was a very good arena. And uh, some of the high school sites, it's different. Um, but there's something about a bigger gym in that. Um, but And as far as state championship, I mean, USC Aiken did a great job. I would think – that. I would think they're going to be in the running to host something, whether it be a uh, upper or lower state uh, championship or a st- the state championship. I know it was at uh, limited capacity, but, I mean, it was a great uh, great venue, easy to get in, easy to get out. Um, all the teams that played in it, uh, 
uh, re- really enjoyed it, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of options. Uh, they at least they're not tied in. It has to be in Colombia. At least they're they can explore different places uh, where it could be held. And uh, they also decided for all sports to go back to having four teams per region make the playoffs. Was there ever a chance that this would be any different, or did everyone expect this to be the outcome? Yeah, I think it was pretty much the, the given. I think, I mean, you can make the case for some that uh, some regions don't deserve to have a third or fourth just the way the, the teams are. But um, I, I like what I think um, in 2A soccer is doing this year. Um, you're taking the top or uh, not top two, you're taking the region champion and everyone else, the other eight teams are getting seeded. Um, I, I would like to see something like that, like with the, if you do it at four teams, the top two guaranteed, and then you go in the seeding for everyone else. It might be a little bit different that way. Um, I think travel would be the biggest issue, but you saw it like in, in the lacrosse playoffs. That's kind of what they did. They seeded one through 16, at least in 4A. Um, so that, that was a little bit different that way. Um, I just don't like to be tied in. Uh, this region has to be here. I like get get all your qualifiers and then seed them after that. That that would be my thing. But I mean, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, they decided to keep uh, the reduced scrimmage schedule uh, from last year, reducing it from two, four down to two scrimmages. Does it look like at this point this is something that's going to stick, or do you think we may at some point go back to the original four? No, I think this is probably going to stick. I've heard from a few football coaches, I mean, not that happy, but, I mean, four scrimmages, I mean, I think two scrimmages in Jamboree is enough. Maybe in other sports, I know maybe basketball, volleyball, they wanted those few extra scrimmages, but, I mean – I don't think it's going to be that big a deal, um, especially with full practices. Everyone's going to get full practices, open season and everything. So I don't think it's that big an issue. I thought um, you might, I mean, they're just trying to save the wear and tear, especially football wise um, uh, for, for, for that for way. Ba- so For baseball, uh, they for next season, they're adding a week to the schedule how is this going to impact scheduling, and, and what are your thoughts on the AI week? Yeah, it's baseball, softball, and uh, track and field. Also going to – the championship's going to be pushed back a week, kind of like it is this year, track and field. Um, they wanted to spread it out so they don't have every state championship on the same week. Like this this year, I think you'll, you'll have lacrosse next weekend and a week off. Then you'll have tennis and soccer and then track the week after that, and then the baseball will start after that. Um, it's baseball, it gives baseball and softball an extra week in case of rain out. You're not in a crunch. In the past, it was uh, seven weeks to get through the regular season. Now you have eight. Uh, you could spread out your games. Um, this year was a little tight because a lot of teams, a lot of schools um, were recommended to play only twice a week, um, which made things uh, kind of tough, but next year you'll you'll be able to play a little bit more games and you can spread them out so you don't that extra week, like I said, if rain or makeups need to happen, uh, I think that was the right way. Seven weeks, now you have eight weeks to get your regular season in and then uh, start the playoffs after that. 
while not officially approved yet, uh, the committee discussed how realignment may be determined next next year. Uh, adding a economic score slash poverty index uh, accounting for 10% of the design factor. How is that going to be determined, and will it? Ha- do you think it's going to have any impact on realignment? Uh, it's just uh, well, your community, I guess, just. I don't know, income or whatever. Um, I don't know if it's going to have much. It's not going to have much with the bigger classifications. I think this is basically for um, 3A and below just to make sure, maybe try to even things out. I don't know if it's a thing to move, like the charter schools, um, if they're in good cities, maybe move them up, maybe – like a classification. Uh, the talk was before just talking about uh, your postseason success would mm-hmm. help determine realignment. And if you moved up and like, like kind of get relegated like soccer, um, like Champions League soccer and you're up in that. But I guess that, that went by the wayside. I, I thought that would have been a good idea, especially I know people are complaining about the, the private and charter schools and they're winning. I mean, so if they keep winning, you have to keep moving up classification, but I guess that's not going to happen. It's pretty much going to be on enrollment, but I mean, I think they just throw this thing out. I think location does help. Um, Like they said, like I think one committee member said, no, no one's going to be happy. (laughs) Um, There's always someone going to be complaining. Someone's going to appeal. There weren't as many appeals the last time, but um, a few of them were able to win. But um, not everyone's. There's always going to be some team that's going to have to travel farther or whatever. There's not going to be a perfect scenario. You now around here, um, we have one, the 5A region with um, all five local teams, and that's worked out pretty good. But you got another one with uh, the other five. You got Blythewood and Spring Valley that got to drive to Rock Hill. Um, mm. Blythewood, Spring Valley, and Ridge, you got to drive to Rock Hill for a couple games. I think that might change a little bit with the new high schools and, and Rock Hill opening. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit that way. Um, and if they're if they're still married to, as far as the same amount of um, how many teams per region or how many regions, like there's some 4A and 2A, um, there's only three regions in the lower state um, mm-hmm. in each of that. That's why you have that large and that for um, uh, those classes. So uh, we'll see. Like I said, I think uh, the main thing, it's still going to be enrollment, but uh, they're just giving it um, some talking points. Some uh, They're not married to just having enrollment. They're at least open to uh, other factors determine it. You, you mentioned before one thing that a lot of people were talking about but ended up not being part of the formula is postseason success. Was that ever something that actually was on the table with the committee, or was that something that just people around the state were talking about? No, there there was proposals around, and that was talked about a lot. There were, there were some different uh, scenarios in that. They were lo- using some other states. I think Indiana does it. I forget what other states uh, uh, do that where they – I mean, you do well in the postseason. You're not going to stay in that class. I mean, uh, for – long time you'll keep you would keep moving up like i said I, it was aimed more towards the um kind of imbalance especially in the lower classifications where they're like the two a's where, where you have the charter and private schools uh, where they they kind of cap their enrollment so but th- this is a way to 
kind of um, uh, make them play up in competition, uh, up in levels. But uh, for some reason, it didn't go didn't go through. Uh, I don't know if that will be revisited in uh, a couple years, but I thought it was a good choice. It, it d- doesn't make things a little harder things to figure out, especially they were talking about uh, you could be in um, one class uh, in one sport and not the other. I mean, you see that a little bit now in like lacrosse and that and sometimes soccer, but just because there's not enough teams uh, to mm. do it. But um, yeah, I, I thought it would have been different, but uh, I was a little surprised that, that uh, it didn't get mentioned. I'm, I'm sure it got talked about a lot. It just, there was no formal proposal. I mean, um, there was things brought to the committee, but it obviously didn't pass or anything. Moving over to uh, the college ranks, South Carolina have their spring game this weekend. Any thoughts on uh, what we'll see on Sunday? Uh, well, at least they'll get it in. Uh, I, I <laughs> thought they might just because of the injuries and things. I thought the weather, they were going to use this as an out, maybe not not to have it, but they decided to move it to Sunday. So um, I think you're gonna people are going to – things to watch. Luke Doty, obviously, is number one because – He's basically the guy. Um, uh, they're, I mean, they, they have a couple guys, the freshman Gauthier and then Jason Brown, the transfer, came in. I don't think uh, – I think it did bring some competition, but he's the guy. I think people are going to see how he's performed. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they're going to see uh, the running backs. Obviously, Marshawn Lloyd is not going to uh, play and see how much the running backs play. It was Condre Wright's had a really good spring. Um, maybe talks of him maybe even jumping – Kevin Harris on the on the depth chart. I think Lloyd, if he's healthy, he'll be the, the starting back. But um, that would give you uh, three running backs. The biggest questions at receivers and defensive back. They're very thin defensive back for sure, um, especially even with injuries. I know they had some walk-ons playing in, in some of the scrimmages uh, a lot of a lot of times. So in the receivers, there's not that one main guy. Um, you know that it's just a lot of good receivers, but who's going to emerge as the number one receiver? I mean, to carry on Joyner, Jalen Brooks, there's, there's a lot of other guys, and see um, what kind of role E.J. Jenkins is going to have, the big um, receiver slash tight end that came um, from St. Francis with Jason Brown. Um, I think his impact is going to be interesting to see how much he plays at tight end, how much he plays at receiver. Um, he looks <laughs> watching him in practice. He definitely uh, stands out at six seven. so oh, we'll see and I think defensively, I think across both lines, they're going to be strong. Um, that's going to be two of their strongest points. I, like I said, I think it's receivers and secondary uh, is going to be a, a big question in how Luke Doty uh, progresses in, in year two as a starter. You, you, just because you mentioned it, I, I thought I'd ask, do you, do you follow European soccer at all? Not too much. Not I know much. there was a big deal this week. That was a. Uh, I was going to ask you what your thoughts on that was, but since you don't follow it too much, I. I mean, I follow. I'm kind of read up on it. I'm like, the concept I think was good, but I could see why they, it didn't go. I mean, it basically takes a lot of teams out. Uh, I could see why they want to do it. The big teams want to do it to make sure they're always getting in. They don't have to worry about not getting relegated. But I could see why it it didn't work out. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining me, Lou, this morning, and uh, look forward to talking to you next week. I appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you. That was Lou Bejack from the state. Always great talking to him. Uh, And, you know, 
Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of good points. I personally, and I, I, I there, there's a reason for it. I under I understand his point. Uh, I, I understand why they probably will put it at maybe a Benedict or something, but I've, like I mentioned, I always, um, I always liked the concept of, um, of having that moment for the high, for the high school players to come into uh each each season um i love the concept of having that moment for the to look forward to each season of going to a division 1 college uh venue and being able to play in the bright lights and all of that um I'm going to actually look this up. Because I'm curious about this. Um, this possibility because... Because I'm pretty sure, if, if I remember correctly, uh, I'm pretty at least mo- the vast majority of schools. I know Texas uses AT&T Stadium. Uh, I know a few other school or a few other states use, you know, a big college stadium or whatnot. Uh, I'm going to try to get this information uh for you guys during the break and then uh and then maybe I'll relay that information uh when you know a- after after we talk to uh Chris Phillips at 1 at 8:30 But yeah, um, you know, I personally like seeing it at the college venues for for a number of reasons. Um, but you know, if, if they put it at Benedict, it's still a pretty nice venue. You know, I don't think the I don't think the high school venues would work, especially for the Thursday and Friday games. And and like Lou said, you know, if if they decide to to close early or whatnot, then maybe that could work. Actually, you know, it it it, it reminds me of uh, when I was in high school, every now and again, like maybe twice or three times a year, um, not for football, because football actually in Jersey, and this is going to blow a lot of people's minds around here. In football, in Jersey... At least where where I where I grew up, you don't play on Friday nights. And I think for the majority of this, you don't play on Friday nights. You play Saturday afternoons. So you know, every now and again, you would have a Friday game, but 
very, very rare. I don't know if it's changed since, but when I was in high school, you played on on Saturday on uh on Saturday afternoons. But every now and again, you would have you know a soccer game, which also soccer was a fall sport. It is a fall sport in Jersey, not not a spring sport. It's still weird for me to think that soccer is a spring sport. But every now and again, you would see uh, every now and again you would have a soccer game happening on a weekday, right after school, or actually during school, you know, with like a two o'clock start, and everyone, or at least the vast majority of teachers, would bring their students out to the game and let them watch the game and you'd get off technically get off early now officially you couldn't leave until after the day was over but on an unofficial level a lot of people would leave early and and would go um uh They would leave early and and just walk off. Even even if you decided to stay, you know you were it was you weren't in school. You didn't have classes. You could hang out with your friends. So it was essentially you got off early. And if you're a soccer fan, of course you're going to watch the game. Now it's a little different with football and with a state championship game, but you could theoretically do that where you allow the kids off early. So, why I don't like it, but if they really wanted to do that, you could figure it out logistically. So, again, like I said, my top choice would be williams Bryce, but that's just me. And in terms of the realignment stuff, um, you know, like I said with Lou, no official decision yet on it, but they are sending out surveys to schools to get feedback on the plan and then vote on it at a later date. Probably will be decided over the summer. Uh, 80, it will be, as of right now, it's 80% enrollment, 10% location, 10% economic score slash poverty index. Postseason will not be a factor. It's going to be interesting to see how much change or not much change there is uh, when it comes to the realignment next year. There's always some change, some more than others, but we'll have to wait and see how it works. So I'll take a quick break and then come right back. We'll have Chris Phillips coming on from the Spurs Up show coming up at the bottom of the hour. So keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and as we await Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show joining us in just a moment, talk a little bit about the uh, spring game. No official uh, roster as of yet. We'll ask Chris uh, if he has gotten a roster yet. Originally was scheduled for Saturday. But due to the weather forecast, anticipating rain tomorrow afternoon, it has been pushed back to Sunday. And Lou mentioned it, that he was kind of surprised that they didn't didn't decide to cancel it, that they decided decided to keep it. And I'm glad. I'm glad that they uh, that they kept it and that they're playing it because you know, especially after last year, especially after last year with COVID shutting everything down right as the spring season was starting, and you know, especially around here, everyone being so football crazy, and you know, even a spring, it's essentially a spring scrimmage gets you know huge crowds and all of that it's it it's good to see them saying hey we're going to get back to the fans by making sure we get this game in yes i understand that the gamecocks have some injuries and and all of that but you know good 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 to see them uh good to see them do that uh still waiting on him so i'll talk about uh or give you a a forecast on what's to come, preview on what's to come after we talk to Chris Phillips uh, when he joins us. We'll have a an NFL draft, uh, first round draft preview. As the first round of the draft will take place on Thursday. Um, and so... Get a preview of that. Next week, we'll have a full review of the first round as well as a, a bit of a preview for the second and third rounds. Not too much uh, because people care about it, but people don't care about the, the later rounds nearly as much as they do the, the first round. Uh, we will also talk about if we have some time, may talk about the FCS playoffs a little bit. Um, potent- potentially talk about the uh, NCAA rule amendments. Uh, and then the big thing that we will be talking about, may talk about a few other things. Um, but the big thing a little bit later, we will be going across the pond over to Europe, talk about the Super League and that whole debacle this week um, and see, you know, talk about what happened there and how uh 
how that uh how that played out and and my thoughts on on the whole situation there there was a lot of you know there's a lot of um things and and I think it I think it could be a uh I, I think it could potentially be uh something that you know could be something that maybe some American places should be looking at and fans should take note of uh, you know um, I think it's something that you know <laughs> excuse me I think it's something that should be um, because there, there are, uh, there are some things that you could take into consideration, uh, there. But, um, you know, that's, um, like I said, I'll I'll get to those thoughts in in just a little bit to have uh we're supposed to be having uh Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show joining us right now, still waiting on him. So in the meantime I'll actually go through a few of the other uh news pieces of the week uh, and give you my thoughts on those while we await Chris's arrival. Uh, In the NBA, NBA will be having a play-in tournament between the 7 and 10 seeds, 7, 8, 9, and 10 seeded teams to determine the last two playoff seeds this season. And Personally, I don't like it. I don't like it. I I mentioned this when it came to the region tournaments on the high school level, and I understand that in college they have conference tournaments, and and I understand that, and and I'm fine with that and whatnot. Uh, But at least for me, especially this, it just – no one really cares about the NBA regular season as is. I feel like this will diminish the regular season even more. Yes, yes, there is the argument that says, oh, this enhances the regular season because bottom 10 or those bottom six teams or so, let, let's say six teams, bottom six or middle six teams from the four, you know, from the fourth, fifth ranked team down to the 10th ranked team. They actually have something to play for. They're making sure that either A, they miss out on the play-in tournament, or that they have the higher seed so that they're 
know, so that they're the home team or, or whatnot. It gives more meaning to the end of the regular season. And I can understand that argument to an extent, but I just, I feel like allowing more teams, and, and yes, there was already the precedent set last, set last year uh, because of COVID and everything. But this is just me, and and this this was the same way I felt about the wild card uh, expansion in baseball. I don't know when it comes to sports and playoffs. I'm a very, I'm very much a traditionalist, but I just don't think that this will help things. I think this will uh I, I think this will just diminish the playoffs. Uh and you know, I just that that that's all that that's all I can say about it. I think it will just I think it will diminish the playoffs. Or not plus diminish the end of the regular season, and we'll just make it, you know, it'll make things kind of interesting to see. But it's basically just pushing the real discussion up, and I feel like there are there. It's pushing the real discussion out because. Normally, it's just, you know, those 7, 8, 9, 10 teams, you're watching to see who makes it into the playoffs, or who makes it into the playoffs. Now you're going to be watching those, you know, 5, 6, 7, 8 teams to see who can get out of the the play-in tournament. And then 9, 10, 11, 12 to see who can get in. And even that, then you're not sure if you're going to make it into the playoffs. You still have to play that play-in tournament. So, it, it could be interesting. It, it could be interesting to see how it how it turns out. I'll, I'm at least willing to give it a shot, but it's something that, you know, may... It's just going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Personally, as of right now, I'm not much of a fan of it, but I'll give it a chance. We do have Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up Show joining us now. Chris, how's it going this morning? What's going on, guys? How are y'all? Pretty good, pretty good. Spring game scheduled for Sunday, but before we get there, let's talk about some spring practice thus far. What has been the overall feeling around the team about how practice has been going this spring? I think it's been well. You know, obviously everything right now with Shane Beamer, I think we're kind of in the honeymoon phase still right now for Gamecock football with him. And, you know, the overall morale and everything and the energy around South Carolina football certainly has improved greatly, you know, since he took over. You've seen that on social media and, you know, through the media's coverage and everything, you know, they're saying all the right things, doing all the right things, working hard. But, uh you know, uh, your main goal in spring is this, guys, just stay healthy, you know, install new packages, develop guys. And, you know, from everything I'm hearing, they're doing that. So I, I think it's been a successful spring for South Carolina, the first one under Shane Beamer. And, you know, it's going to be really exciting Sunday. Again, I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I'm somebody that, 
you know, I, I think it's a dangerous thing to try to draw conclusions from a spring game. But if nothing else, Sunday, you know, it's really exciting to think about. We're going to get our first glimpse of South Carolina football under Shane Beamer and what a quote-unquote game day is going to look like under him as much of a yeah, as much of a game day as we can get right now. So, you know, it, it's been a successful spring, I would say. You know, the biggest thing is you want to stay healthy. You know, that's the, uh, that's the thing I always look forward to. Fingers crossed. You know, we've seen Georgia. They've had some struggles with that. But from everything I've heard, you know, it's been a successful spring. There's been a ton of storylines, of course, with Shane Beamer, the quarterback battle, you know, the running back. I mean, there's questions all over the roster, right? So, but yeah. all accounts, I mean, I'd say it's been a pretty successful spring, and I think Shane Beamer and you know, especially Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, they they've been installing their packages and stuff like that, and get the guys acclimated and establishing a new culture. So I'd say overall, I mean, it's it's been a successful spring in Columbia, and really excited to see that kind of culminate in the final scrimmage, the Garnet Black Spring Game Cool on Sunday. You you mentioned Shane Beamer, obviously hasn't had an official game under the helm yet uh but the e- even through this whole spring practice the the honeymoon phase is still there what has been the overall impression uh around the program of how he's been so far yeah i mean i i think it's been well i mean i, I think fans have received it very well like I, like i said we are in the honeymoon we everybody's 0 and 0. We we haven't lost the game, but again, they're doing saying all the right things right now, uh, and, and that's what that program needed, man. That's what this football program needed, you know. After the previous regime and the way things ended, I, I think you needed somebody again to bring back in that culture, um, that good feeling that you know. There's been former players all over campus in the building, and, and you're seeing him in Sunday. Guys like Alshon Jeffrey and and Mike Davis and. Stephon Gilmore has been back, and there's been a ton of former players, guys that helped build that program up when he was there and guys that he recruited that have come back on campus. So, again, like I said, they're doing and saying all the right things. It's, you know, especially from the fan perspective, like I said, guys, I'm sure you guys have seen all the videos on social media and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, overall, the, the overall morale is, is just so much better than it was. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, as far as, you know, how, how's Shane Beamer going to fare in South Carolina? That's what the, the, the question shifts to as far as, you know, what, what's the what's the ceiling, what are the expectations, all that. You know, and, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, that's really hard to predict, right? There, there, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of different factors that go into, you know, how many coaches is it, or how many games is the coach going to win and, you know, what's their success level going to be like. But what I really feel confident in saying about Shane Beamer is that he's going to leave the program in a much better place than he found it, no matter when that happens, whether that's five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 20, whatever it is, I, I really feel confident that, you know, they, they all talk about it. You know, this is their dream job. They love to be here. They love being in Columbia. They know how special this place is. And, you know, I, I feel confident, at least as a fan and somebody who cares about the program, that if nothing else, you know, no matter what happens, I, again, I don't know how many games he's going to win. I, I think he's going to win a lot, but no matter how many games he's win. Uh, he's going to leave the program in a much better spot than he found it. And I don't think you can say that for every single coach that takes a job in college football nowadays. So I do feel confident in that. But uh, like, like I said, been a successful spring. I mean, overall, it's, it's high vibe right now. You know, Shane Beamer being a Gamecock, and I'm really, I'm really happy they gave a Gamecock an opportunity to take this job and kind of build this thing and, and do his thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's exciting times in Columbia. You know, hey, it's the off season. Everybody's got big dreams and aspirations. and Everybody's 0-0, but, uh, yeah, no, like I said, the morale is extremely high right now. 
You you mentioned some of the names that he's brought back and had around the program, and you know, obviously with him being an alum and being around this program so much, uh, how much do you think having the guys like Marcus Lattimore and and those guys around this program, especially if he's able to have them be there consistently, how much do you think that's going to help not only with morale of the current team, but on the recruiting front? I mean, it's huge. I mean, it's absolutely huge. I mean, you, you can't you can't overstate it. I mean, you're talking about, again, they've had guys like Alshon and Melvin Ingram and Stephon Gilmore and DJ Swearinger and Lattimore and Connor Shaw still there. And, I mean, Patrick DeMarco's there on staff. Like, the list just goes on and on. And, you know, it, it, it's, again, you cannot speak to how important that is. I mean, these are guys that when you walk in that facility, you walk in that indoor, you walk in Williams Rice, these are the guys that are on the murals. These are the guys that built South Carolina football into what it is. And, again, I think – you know, first off, you have Shane Beamer, who was on staff when, you know, I point back to 11 to 13 were the best teams in school history. But there's only one team in school history that has, has ever gone to Atlanta, and that was the 10 team, which he was a part of. Um, and then so you start talking about those great players, and, and, you know, Shane Beamer had a hand in recruiting a lot of them, but getting them back on campus around the guys, you know, I think that's how you build culture and tradition. You know what I mean? Is getting those guys back on campus. And I mean, those guys should be working out at your facility every summer. There's no reason they shouldn't. And having them back around, especially like you said, recruiting, man. I mean, I, I don't know how much how much of an interaction, if any at all, if any at all, they can have with those guys. But you know, the South Carolina social media department is going to do their job and making content and showing them off and showing that they're there and. You know, we've got these flashy NFL game costumes, and you need those guys. You know, I mean, you need those guys to to sell your program. You know, J.C. Horn's about to be probably a top 15 pick. If you don't think that's uh-huh. a big deal for the University of South Carolina and their football program and recruiting, I mean, you're crazy. You know, I mean, it's obviously it's huge. So, you know, but getting those Gamecock legends back on campus that, like I said, show people that it's possible. You know, they're literally living proof that you can do it at South Carolina, that you can win big, that you can go to the SEC championship, that you can achieve – everything you want to achieve, and especially a lot of those guys that were in-state guys like Alshon, like Marcus, that, you know, you can tell these big-time in-state recruits, like, hey, you don't have to leave the state to go find what you're looking for. Like, you don't have to go to Georgia to go to Atlanta if you want. You you don't have to go to Florida. You can stay in-state. There's living proof. We've done it before that you can stay here right in South Carolina. You can come get a great, great education. You can play in the best conference in the country, and you can win. These guys have shown it. So, no, definitely, man. I mean, it, it means a lot for the program as a whole because, like I said, those are the guys that are that are on the murals that have achieved the highest ever, and they've built the program to what it is. And so I think it's it's super important. You know, Tory Gurley said it best to me on my show. It takes a Gamecock to know a Gamecock. You know what I mean? Like, South Carolina is a very special, unique place, and you need people that have been in this building and, have, you know, sweat on that practice field and have played in Williams-Brice that understand what this place is all about. But certainly, I mean, from the recruiting aspect, I mean, I, I think it's – without a doubt, it's huge. You know what I mean? Those are guys that I think need to be around. You know, Mike Davis has come back for the first time in a long time uh, on Sunday with the spring game. So, getting those guys all back around, man. I mean, you look at every other program. Every other program does that, too. You know what I mean? There's no reason we shouldn't be doing that. And I'm glad that Shane Beamer's making that a priority. How, how much of that – so, you know, especially when it comes to recruiting in-state, how much of that is going to help? Is keeping up with the Joneses up in Clemson. You know, here's the interesting about you. Interesting thing about you saying that, though. You know, I, I think South Carolina they actually recruited really well in state under Will Muschamp, and, and I'm going to tell you though, here's the reason why. 
And this isn't a slight at South Carolina. It's just a reality. Clemson has gotten to a point. I'm sure you guys know this. Yeah. They've gotten to a point where they don't have to recruit the state. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're recruiting nationally. They're, they're recruiting. They're getting the number one player from the state of Ohio. They're getting the number one player from Florida, from, like all over the place. So South Carolina uh-huh. actually under Will Muschamp, you know, that was one of the things he hung his hat on while he was the head coach at South Carolina. I was like, oh, look how great we're recruiting in state. Recruiting wasn't the problem with Will Muschamp. We all know that. It was everything else, the player development yeah. and winning games on the field. So, you know, I think South Carolina has actually done a fairly good job of pulling in their fair share of in-state talent. You know, last year, I thought last year's class was, you know, no, no disrespect to anybody, let's call it what it is, though, one of the weaker classes we've seen in the yeah. last couple of years. And I think that was, you know, I think even if you had a successful year last year, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that was going to be reflected in the recruiting rankings overall. But, uh, you know, it's certainly going to be a challenge. You know, when you're surrounded by Clemson and Georgia, I mean, we all know the challenge that faces with Shane Beaver. But, again, that's why I think it was so important getting somebody in there. Like, hiring a guy like a Billy Napier, a Hugh Freeze, the typical good old boy SEC hire that didn't really understand South Carolina was just taking a job to get a check. I don't think that was the right move. Rolling the dice with a guy like Shane Beamer, who, again, can and, and his staff, too, who can really go on the recruiting trail and sell the University of South Carolina, sell everything it has to offer. You know, I think the dead period ending – huge for the Gamecocks because they need to get people in that shiny new facility. They need to get people into Williams-Brice because one of the big things you're going to sell in Columbia, game day experience, you know, facilities. I mean, again, that, that ops building was $50 million. You need to show it off. You know what I mean? So recruiting and funny, man. I, I've actually got a buddy of mine. That I won't say who he is, obviously, that works at the University of Georgia and that uh, works for Georgia football. And, and, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, in-state recruiting and all that and just recruiting in general. You know, and he told me, he's like, you know, people love to make a big deal out of in-state recruiting. And it is a big deal. But he's like, man, it's about going and signing the 25 best, best players you can get. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, it, like in-state recruiting's big, don't get me wrong, but you want to go get the 25 best football players you can add to your roster. So, again, I, I think South Carolina has benefited a little bit from Clemson's success, believe it or not. But it is important, man. It is important, you know, for – you know, building your program, you know, quote-unquote, putting a fence up around the state. And the biggest thing is this. There's just – I don't think it's so much like you want to go recruit every – you know, you don't want to sign just 25 guys in the state of South Carolina, but you don't yeah, want to let the big guys leave. You don't want to let those big prospects leave. That's the big thing. You know, you don't want to let North Carolina come in and take guys. We've seen that happening recently. You certainly don't want to let them go, you know, to Georgia or, God forbid, well, go to Tennessee or whatever. So – yeah, well, I was going to say one of the big guys that did go to Georgia was Tyrion Ingram Dawson, who was the top recruit in the mm. state. You know, I'm sure Shane Beamer would have loved to have him come to South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much there's not much you could ask Beamer to do there, man. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of you know the, the recruiting class obviously this this past class was we all saw the numbers, but I mean. And I know, fan, you know, there were obviously a lot of Gamecock fans that, you know, felt uneasy. And I, I totally get it, but I'm kind of like, what do you want? I mean, what do you expect? You know what I mean? Your coach just got – you just fired your coach. I mean, Shane Beamer had a, had two months to do a job that, that most coaches have had three or four years they've been doing. You know what I mean? So, it's just you, – you're, you're putting him in a no-win situation there. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe we should have given out more McDonald's bags. I don't, I don't really know what else we could have done. But, um, yeah, so <laughs> – you you mentioned one guy that has been a focal point this spring has been probably the most talked about guy on on campus uh, this spring has been Luke Doty and his development as the quarterback for the team. 
Marcus Satterfield yeah. apparently yesterday cha- is challenging him to be more of a pocket passer, use his arm more, mm-hmm. not not focusing on running and scrambling as much. How much of an effort has be, he been putting into that this spring, and how much do you think that progress will be shown on Sunday? Yeah, and that aligns with everything I've heard at this point. You know, I've talked with people in the building around Gamecock football, and they say that, yeah, that they're trying to, you know, make Luke Doty. Because if you think back to Connor Shaw even, you know, he did the same thing, right? I think he developed in his career where he became a pocket passer who could run. And, I mean, he did run a lot, don't get me wrong, but from everything I've heard, also, that that's the case for Doty as well. You know, we know he has athleticism. We know he's a dual-threat guy. Heck, we saw it. You know, against Georgia last year, you know, and I remember sitting there in the stadium thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm having flashes of a young Connor Shaw. And it's not to put that type of pressure on the kid, but it's just like the skill set is just undeniably similar. But, yeah, I've definitely heard they're trying to make him more uh, of being a true pocket passer who can just run when the play breaks down, which is what you want. And, what, and honestly, what, you, what I think you need in college football, you know, that, and that's no slight and disrespect and the guys that South going to previously have on the roster. I just think – that, again? that just seems what that that just seems to be what the trend is overall, whether it's college or yeah. in the pros. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes yeah, and too. defenses because I think defenses are just too good, man. Defenses are too athletic. The defensive ends, the linebackers, they're too fast, they're too quick. And I would say this to you, man: when you're at a school like South Carolina, and again, this isn't a slight or disrespect to South Carolina because this is basically every school outside of maybe Alabama and Clemson and maybe Georgia. Most schools aren't good enough to play 10 on 11. And that's basically what you do when you eliminate the quarterback as a, as a non-threat to run the ball, you know, because, hey, you can get away with that at Alabama when you have five, five five-star offensive linemen and five-star receivers everywhere and a five-star running back. And guys who are just going to go out there and win their matchups one-on-one, doesn't really even matter, right, what the quarterback does. But at South Carolina, I think you have to be creative. And, it, again, most schools – you have to be creative. You have to have an athlete back there behind center who at least, again, maybe he's a pocket passer, but when that play breaks down, he can get outside the pocket, busted play, he can get you eight, ten yards. And that's the thing that Connor Shaw was so good at doing at, or good, so good at doing for South Carolina. But, yeah, from everything I've heard on Doty, man, it's been positive this spring. Um, and I know a lot of fans, and, of course, that was one of our top storylines story going into spring was the quarterback competition and, you know, Jason Brown coming in from St. Francis. Obviously, he was very highly regarded. And Colton Gauthier, who's a friend of our show that I was able to talk to, great kid, you know, has, has all the makeup, the moxie that you want out of a young freshman quarterback. But, dude, it really sounds like at this point, I'm sure we'll see this reflected on Sunday. I mean, it, it really sounds like at this point that Luke Doty's the guy. You know, Luke Doty is QB1. I think at one point even, you know, Shane Beamer told the media, those other guys have to make it a competition talking about everyone that's not named Luke Doty. Um, so I, I think he's really coming to his own. He's taken over, especially that leadership quality. Um, but, of course, I mean, they're installing things, installing packages. Everybody's learning the offense. Everyone's learning the system. And, of course, Luke Doty's trying to get better and better each and every single day. From what I'm hearing, he's doing that again. Like I said, you don't want to draw a crazy amount of conclusions or anything from the spring game on Sunday. But uh, it, it will be, and, you know, that's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to when it comes to the spring game is seeing just how much Luke Doty has developed um, in a short period of time. And also just what does, what does you know, and we're not going to see a ton from, from Marcus Satterfield's offense because, like I said, the game's on TV and they're not going to try to show a lot. But we are just going to get our first glimpse of the Satterfield Shane Beamer offense and what does Luke Doty look like in that. And I'm really curious, guys, to see, 
you know, like I said, not drawing a crazy amount of conclusions, but do we see like a large gap between, you know, when Luke Doty's out there versus when Jason Brown's out there versus when Colton Gauthier's out there? Because I didn't think at any point they were going to name a starting quarterback in the spring. I really thought the competition was something they would let go all the way into fall camp, at least for a couple of weeks, and then probably name a starting quarterback like two weeks before kickoff. But if there's a wide margin, like if there's a wide gap, like if it's very noticeable, like, hey, Luke Doty looks like the guy and everyone else is sort of on a different level than he is, you know, I don't think they'll name the QB1 after like Sunday's game or anything, but I'd be curious to know, you know, maybe going into fall camp, maybe earlier than we expected, is Luke Doty named the guy? Because right now I'd say he is. But, yeah, overall, again, guys, back to your point, just his development, uh, becoming more of a pocket passer who can use his legs. I mean, obviously that's going to benefit him. And, you know, hopefully Sunday we see some wide receivers emerge because, hey, you know, <laughs> if you're sitting in the pocket and nobody's getting open, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. really mean much. But, uh, now I'm excited for Luke Doty, man. I, I think fans, some fans maybe maybe jumped the ship on him a little early because, I, you know, I know last season was was brutal. I mean, we all know that. But I, I didn't take anything away from those last three games, from like positive or negative, really, from Luke Doty. You know, I, some fans were critiquing his throwing ability. And, I'm, you know, there, there's just nothing you can really pull from, from the end of 2020. But, uh, you know, four-star kid out of Myrtle Beach, man, was a, you know, Elite 11 finalist. This guy's got some legit talent. He's a big-time ball player. And, you know, I'm really excited to see that Sunday, man. I'm really excited to see just how much he has progressed this spring. Yeah, I I, I think I, I'd have to agree with you. I think while uh, Beamer may not officially say it out in public, I think if Doty impresses on Sunday, he's probably the, the QB1, the the odds-on yeah, I mean, favorite. You know, basically the unofficial QB1 going into the fall. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, like I said, Beamer literally came out and said, you know, those other guys have got to make it a competition. And when you're talking about those other guys, I mean, listen, I know we all, you know, I, I like Colton Gothier a lot, but realistically, he's a true freshman. Connor Jordan, like him a lot, he's a walk-on. So, really, the competition came down between Luke Doty and Jason Brown. I know a lot of people were excited when South Carolina signed Jason Brown. Listen, six foot four, two forty. he's got the build. He's, you know, he's, he's got the big arm, quote-unquote. But the thing I said when they signed him, and again, none of this is a slight to the kid, but when they signed him, I said, Dude, it's St. Francis to the SEC. That's my biggest question because St. Francis yeah. is not the SEC. Just because no. you are an FCS All-American does not mean you are ready for this level. And that's going to be the biggest difference. That's going to be the biggest question. So, again, they've had a, there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with good, healthy competition. And because I'm, I'm a guy, listen, guys, believe it or not, I don't care who the coach is. I don't care who the OC is or the DC or the quarterback. I just want to win games. So, Give a, mm-hmm. put, put out the best guy that gives us the best chance to do that. And if that's Luke Doty, so be it. But, yeah, definitely, guys, without, you know, saying it without saying it, it, it does certainly sound like Luke Doty has sort of separated himself as QB1. And like I said, on Sunday, that's what I'll be most looking for is, like, is there this wide margin? Is it like, wow, Luke Doty just looks, you know, in a different universe than these other guys under center? Or does it look really close? You know, I mean, does it look like something, okay, well, maybe Jason Brown over the summer – you know, he gets with this wide receiver room, maybe he could take the job. But, yeah, from everything we've heard, and we'll see it on Sunday, but everything we've heard, it, it definitely sounds like it's Luke Doty's job to lose right now. I, I'm personally rooting for him because he's from the area up in the so I, I get to see the Seahawks yeah. quite often around here. Uh, <laughs> So uh, there, there have been some big additions through the transport for portal this season. In particular, uh, Nebraska camp. Uh, excuse me, Nebraska transfer Keem Green 
how has he been acclimating himself with the defense, and how much is he going to help that front line? I mean, a lot. King Green made him a monster, and I think the bit, the best thing for him is that he's coming into probably the best position unit on this football team, and that is the defensive front. Um, no, Team Green, the local kid that went to Nebraska, obviously getting him back was huge. Um, South Carolina, obviously, you know, it, it all comes down to we those guys, the line of scrimmage, running the football and stopping the run, and certainly South Carolina hopes he can be a run stopper for them. But like I said, I think the thing that might help him the most is who he's going to be surrounded by. I, I mean, the, the front seven, the defensive line for South Carolina, the pass rush, that's what they're really going to lean on defensively. You start talking about guys – you know, like J.J. Nibare and, and, and Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch and Boogie Huntley and Rick Sandage and Jordan Strawn, the transfer they added in from Georgia State, who led led all of college football in sacks. And, you know, you keep going down this list of guys, they have real depth there. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll tell you guys, the secondary or the, the, the on the defensive side, the secondary, by far my biggest question mark going into the season. It's something I'll be honest with you I'm a little worried about. I, I think South Carolina is going to struggle – against teams who can really throw the football, the emphasis is going to be put on that defensive line, creating a pass rush, stopping the run. If you can get pressure on the interior, and I'll, I'll never forget, and this is going back, but Kelsey Quarles, man, the way he was able to bully people and you know create havoc on a quarterback in the passing game, even as a big guy, um, when you can get pressure up the middle, I mean, it, it just completely destroys what an offense is trying to do. So can Keem Green be that guy? I mean, we'll see, but – I expect him to be a big part of a defensive line. Like I said, guys, I think it's the best, you know, arguably that or the running back position. It's the best position, you know, on this Gamecocks football team and certainly, certainly without a doubt should be arguably the strength of this football team when they kick it off this fall. Are there any other uh, standouts that look to be taking the next step in their progress this spring that, that really impressed you that we can look at and see – how they're doing in the spring in the spring game? Yeah, the one name I've heard a lot of, believe it or not, is the carry on joiner. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard he's he's the guy, the light. And there's been a lot of guys I think that have stood out, and you know, they haven't gave us a, a ton. You know what I mean when it comes to intel and news and stuff like that. But from people I've talked to, you know, the carry on joiner, from what I've heard, is a guy that's finally playing fast. Um, he, he's kind of playing free, and I, I'm really, you know, I, I know he didn't play in last Saturday's scrimmage because I, you know. It's, Shane Beamer said they've got some guys that are banged up or whatever. And I, I, right now, I'd expect him to play on Sunday. Um, and if he's a guy that plays Sunday, I think he'll have a big game. You know, I, I'm really excited to see how to carry on Joyner's skill set is used by Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer just by this football team as a whole. Because I, I think we can all agree that that's a guy, you know, everybody's pulling for the carry on Joyner. You know, the ultimate team guy. He's changed positions. I mean, heck, there's been multiple times where I thought he should have transferred. Didn't he stuck it out? He loves USC. He wants to be a Gamecock. Obviously, he's an in-state kid. You know, everybody's pulling for him, and I'm really excited and curious to see how they're going to use his skill set. Because hey, I don't care what position to carry on joiners at, he has an undeniable skill set. I mean, this dude has crazy athleticism. He's electric with the football in his hand. How do they use him? So maybe we start to see glimpses of that Sunday. Um, you know, uh, um, EJ Jenkins, uh, who, who's played a little bit tight end, played a little, little bit of wide receiver, the St. Francis transfer with Jason Brown. I mean, six foot, seven and a half, going to be an absolute freak. Heck, I've heard that Nick Muse has arguably been the player of the spring. You know, quietly, they haven't really said a lot about him, but from what I've heard, he's been fantastic. And again, you know, you know Shane Beamer <laughs> joked about it because everybody asked about it, but they're going to use the tight ends a lot in the Gamecocks offense. 
Um, you know, defensively, Jordan Birch, man. I, I've heard Jordan Birch is having a great spring, going to be an absolute freak this year. He's a guy kind of like Joyner in the sense of, like, I don't think we fully saw – and I know he was a true freshman, but I still don't think we fully saw his full potential and what he's capable of. And, again, I attribute that to whatever. I think you guys probably know what I think it was and what most people think it was, but attribute that to whatever you like. But I don't feel like we saw the full potential shine from Jordan Birch. Also, Debo Williams, man, is the guy you keep here on the defensive side of that linebacker position, another grad transfer that it sounds like, man, he's taken over a leadership role since he stepped on campus, since he came in um, from Delaware, it was, I believe. But even when he came in the weight room, man, I've heard he's been that leader on this defense. And certainly, you know, South Carolina's going to need that. You know, you lose – Everybody wants to talk about, of course, J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu, you know, the, the, the grad – or, the, excuse me, the transfers in the, in the back half of the defense. But replacing Ernest Jones, that to me is going to be a big thing. I, I said last year he was the heart and soul of that defense, I thought. And can Debo Williams be that guy? You know, there's been the great quotes to him in preseason talking about just how much he, he loves to hit guys and he wants to take your head off when he hits you. And it's, maybe it sounds like – now he's got to back it up with his play, but maybe it sounds like, he, you know, the – that DJ Swearinger, that nastiness, that mentality, you know, is starting to come back for Gamecocks. Well, maybe a guy like Debo Williams can lead that. And then the secondary, Cam Smith, you know, Cam Smith, you know, he made the quote, you know, himself saying he feels like he can be the J.C. Horn of this defense. And, you know, certainly they're going to look to him to be the, the, the leading defensive back. You know, it's crazy, guys. He is the most veteran defensive back that returns for South Carolina, and he has three career starts. So that kind of goes to show you just, uh, just, just how thin they are at that position. But, I mean, again, man, there's been a lot of guys. You, know, you could talk about even the running back room with, you know, with Kevin Harris and Ben Kevin Harris. I've heard Zaquandre White has actually done really nice things. And, you know, the big news, Marshawn Lloyd continues to make progression. He, he won't do any contact stuff on Sunday, but, you know, he should be 110% good to go for, uh, for kickoff in the fall, which obviously will be a huge, huge boost uh, for the South Carolina football team. But like I said, guys, I think overall it's been a really, really good spring. Um, you know, the biggest thing you want to do is just keep everybody healthy, you know, install. And, you know, it's, it's been an interesting spring, I'm sure, with them being first-year coaches and Shane Beamer, first-year head coach, and kind of just getting everybody acclimated. And, you know, the, the big thing, like I said, guys, on Sunday, what I'm really excited to see is that, you know, we've spent the last couple of months building culture and, and talking about it, <clears throat> excuse me, and putting out videos and putting out content, which is all great. But where mm-hmm. the culture really gets built, is when the pads pop, and we see it on Sunday, and it gets actually established in front of the fan base and on the actual field of play, you know, between the white lines at Williams-Brice Stadium, and I'm really excited. Again, it's not a true game day or anything, but and it's really serve, you know, serves a purpose for the fans, but I know everybody's really excited to kind of get their first glimpse of, hey, what does Gamecock football look, look like under Shane Beamer? How does this thing operate? So, again, I'm, I'm really excited for that, and from all accounts, it's been a really successful spring, and we'll look forward to a fun off season and, uh, you know, getting the SEC media days and preseason camp. And, guys, before you know it, kickoff's going to be here, man. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait either. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me this morning. It's, it's going to be a great Sunday with the spring game, and I look forward to having you back on maybe towards the fall when we get closer and closer to the regular season. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, would love to join you anytime, man. I appreciate it. Seriously. Yep. Thank you very much. Once again, that was Chris Phillips from the Spurs Up show. It was great time talking with him. A lot, lot of insight there. Uh, great, um, great conversation with him and really gets you pumped up for the spring game. 
this Sunday. So now with under an hour left to go in the show, I'm going to flip it over to some national news. Uh, and let's talk some NFL draft. Let, let's 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 do a little first round preview for you guys for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, and then in the last half hour, I will talk about the Super League and the debacle that happened there. And yeah, so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, let's flip over to the NFL draft, go through each pick. Uh, and see where everyone's going. The top of the draft is pretty simple. Top of the draft is pretty straightforward. Um, number one overall pick, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. Hands down. He's been the number one overall pick for the last, I would say, two years. For the last two years, everyone has been talking about tanking for Trevor. And the Jacksonville Jaguars and Urban Meyer are the ones who are going to reap the reward of Trevor Lawrence. Now, the big question is going to be, is he going to be able to be successful in Jacksonville? Or is it going to be a situation where he's on such a poor team that no matter how good you are, you're not able to compete? We'll see. I think Trevor Lawrence will be good. I think they'll need a few more pieces around him, though, for him to be truly successful. Second pick, Jets. More than likely going to take Zach Wilson. He's been, you know, he, he's been the guy that the Jets have been talking about for a while now. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's where that that's where I think he'll land. Uh, but the Jets are going to need a lot more help as well. They're going to need a lot more in order to uh, build that build that franchise back up. One quarterback is not going to do it. As we've seen time and time again in New York with the Jets, they can't just get a quarterback and think all their, their, their woes are going to go away like that. In the number three spot, San Francisco, this is an interesting pick. Uh, that a lot of people have been wondering about, a lot of question marks about who they go with. And, you know, a lot of people are thinking Justin Fields. Some people are thinking Trey Lance. I think they're going to go with Trey Lance. I think they're going to go with Trey Lance with that third overall pick. Now, the big question is going to be what they do with Jimmy Garoppolo. Personally, I think they should be keeping him. But, I have a feeling that they'll figure out some way they're going to make a trade. Now the, now the Patriots and, and here's the thing. I don't know what you do about Cam Newton though. It, it, it's crazy how the quarterback carousel gets going and, and quarterbacks that just a few years ago looked to be, you know, on top of the world are now finally thrown in the, in the trash bin. You know, it's happening with both Garoppolo and Newton to an extent. Now, Garoppolo, the difference is he's getting thrown into the recycling bin. And the Patriots are going to pick him up and recycle him into into their roster. At least that's the assumption. That's what a lot of people are speculating on. And I could see it because Belichick liked Garoppolo when he was in New England. Brady obviously forcing him out because he was 
Jerry at the time, when it was Brady gone, now Belichick can get the quarterback he wants because now for some unknown reason, I'm still confused about it. I still disagree with it, but for some unknown reason after making it to the Super Bowl two years ago under Garoppolo, and this seems to be a theme with the 49ers. Quarterback gets them to the Super Bowl, looks like he's their new franchise quarterback, and then the next year they give up on him. Or the year after next, they give up on him because of one poor year, whether as a result of injuries or, you know, just poor play, you know, not in regards to him. You know, this happened with Alex Smith. This happened with Colin Kaepernick. And now this is happening once again with Jimmy Garoppolo. And, I mean... San Francisco's loss is going to be New England's gain. I don't know how he's going to get to New England, but mark my words, week one, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a Patriot. But yeah, I think the the, the 49ers are going to end up taking Trey Lance because I think they're going to want to mold him into their quarterback. We'll see how long he lasts, though. Who knows? And number four, Falcons are going to take Kyle Pitts, I think. Uh, it, you know, and that's going to help their offense a lot. And but it it the Falcons are such a weird a weird situation because just a few years ago they made all the way to the Super Bowl. Obviously, had that big collapse in the Super Bowl, but they look to be one of the better teams. In the league, for the NFC against New Orleans, and suddenly both them and Carolina—we'll get to them in a little bit—but both them and Carolina suddenly just had this free fall, and it was—it's been so confusing, especially for Atlanta. Yes, they've had some injuries, injury issues, but they. I just don't see how this happened, that they've fallen so precipitously in recent years. But I think Pitts will help. Not sure how much longer Matt Ryan has, but I think having Pitts, having Julio Jones, having Calvin Ridley, they need a running game. But as long as they can get a running game and they can get a defense, Falcons may be good again. The NFC the NFC South is going to be very interesting this year. Because obviously you have Tampa Bay at the top with Brady now because of Drew Brees being retired. But how are, how is, how are the Saints going to do now with Jameis Winston at the helm? How is Atlanta going to do, you know, assu- assuming they do take pits? And how is Carolina going to do now with Sam Darnold at the helm? Lots of question marks. Lots of question marks. The Bengals will take will more than likely take Panay Sewell, offensive lineman from Oregon, uh, and that's going to help them a lot. That that's going to help them protect their franchise quarterback Joe Burrow, and the Bengals. I think they could potentially 
continue to, uh, you know, build their stock. They're probably still a few more pieces away before being real contenders in the AFC North. They're getting better each and every year. Dolphins at number six will more than likely take Jamar Chase, wide receiver from uh, LSU. Uh, well, actually, this one I'm not sure about. This one's an interesting pick. Because assuming the, the former picks, you have J- Jamar Chase, who is the consensus top wideout in the class. Time, you would still also have Devonta Smith, who Tua has a relationship with already. Do you go with the consensus top pick, or do you go with just a little lower, you know, just maybe, you know, one rung down in Devonta Smith, who was a Heisman Trophy candidate? And who has a connection with Tua? Personally, I would take Devonta Smith. But that's just me. I think the Dolphins do go with Devonta Smith, actually. Now that I think about it. Broncos will more than likely take Justin Fields, I think. Panthers will more than likely take Rashawn Slater. Offensive lineman from Northwestern. Uh, upgrade that left tackle spot to help out with protecting their newly acquired quarterback. Uh, Lions. Lions, I think, will probably tomorrow there, uh, but could potentially also take Jalen Waddle. Um, So we'll we'll see we'll we'll see what that that may be an interesting pick. Um, a lot of people are thinking the Patriots may take uh, Mac Jones at. Uh, some people are thinking that the Patriots are going to trade up to the tenth spot, the tenth spot to uh, from the Cowboys um, to take Mac Jones. I don't. I'm not so sure about that. I don't think they make that move. Uh, because I, I think they're... Uh, I, I, I think they're going to... Um, I, I think they're going to wait. I, I, I don't... I think Belichick is going to try to get Garoppolo. So the Cowboys in that spot at number 10... I don't know. I'm not sure who who the Cowboys would take in that spot. I think they'd probably I think they'd take Devonta Smith maybe. Or excuse me, not Devonta Smith. I think they'd take uh Jalen Waddle there. I I think they I think they take Waddle uh to get uh some more help for Dak Prescott. But then again, they don't necessarily really need any more wide receiver help. So that's get, that's going to be an interesting pick for the Cowboys, what they do, or, or if they do decide to trade down. 
Giants are more than likely going to go for a wide receiver. Yeah, if Waddle is available still, they'd, they'd go for him there. Uh, so, but they're going to go after a wide receiver. Eagles probably go after uh, Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State. Chargers, I think they're going to go for offensive line help. Probably go after Christian Darashaw from Darashaw from Virginia. Well, Virginia Tech, excuse me. Vikings uh, probably go for a defensive lineman. They maybe go Jalen Phillips from Miami. The Cowboys. Look, looking at uh, looking at this mock draft I'm looking at, I think the Cowboys will actually go after Patrick Sertain, uh, cornerback from Alabama. They need defensive help, and and that's where I think I could see them going. Patriots, uh, I don't, I don't think they take a quarterback. I don't know what exactly they go after, but I don't think it's going to be a quarterback. Cardinals, I think, are going to go after cornerback as well. They're going to get. They're going to go after J.C. Horn from South Carolina. Uh, Raiders at seventeen go for linebacker help with Jamin Davis. Dolphins at at the eighteenth spot go for the, some defensive help with Aziz Ojulari from Georgia. Washington at seventeen goes from goes from some goes for some offensive line help with Alasia Vera Tucker from USC. I could see that helping them out. The Bears need some wide receiver help. I'll I'll agree with this. Definitely need some wide receiver help going for Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. The Colts Try to help out uh, their offense and go after Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Titans go from goes for some offensive line help in the in, with Devin Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. I could see that being the case there. Jets uh, at twenty three. I think they're going to need some. Offense. Line help. I think they go after an offensive lineman here, but at the same time, this is the Jets. So I'm not. I, I don't know who they'd necessarily go after there. Uh, Steelers at 24. I think they'll go after a cornerback, whoever the best cornerback on the board is at the time. Jaguars at at 25. I think the the mock draft I'm looking at is saying wide receiver help, but I think they have to go after offensive line help to protect Lawrence. Yes, you want a yes, you want a receiver that you can throw to that that he can throw to, but I think they also need some offensive line help. That would be my pick, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do go the wide receiver route. 
Browns at 26 go linebacker with Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. Ravens at 27 go safety with Trayvon Mogri. Mogri. from TCU. At 28, the Saints take Zayvon Collins, linebacker from Tulsa. I can see that. Uh, at 29, this mock draft I'm looking at has the Packers going after Kadarius Tony from Florida, the wide receiver. <sighs> call me cynical, call me whatever you want. I just have this bad feeling. Everyone was saying the Packers should take a wide receiver last year to help Aaron Rodgers. Some weird reason, especially after what they did last year. I have a feeling that they're trying, God knows what reason, they're trying to force Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. But I just, think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to they're going to come up with some very random pick that no one's going to understand why they took him again. And it's just going to further create this divide between Rodgers and the organization. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do take a wide receiver at 29. But I just I have this bad feeling in the back of my head that that's what's going to happen. That's going to be one of the more what Green Bay does is going to be one of the more one of the more interesting uh, teams to watch in the first round. At thirty, Bills more than likely take Afietu Melifonwu from Syracuse, cornerback. At 31, Kansas City gets some defensive line help with Christian Barmore from Alabama. And at number two, the offensive line gets helped for Tom Brady in Tampa with Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. So those are at least some of my projected picks. Uh, But the main teams to watch out for to see what they do in their respective picks. Jaguars, it's going to be interesting what they decide to do with their second pick down down at 25. That will determine how much success Trevor Lawrence has in Jacksonville. That's going to be one. The second pick that's going to be interesting, not so much for what they do, and who knows, maybe they change their mind and go another route. But for who they pick is going to be San Francisco at three. Bengals at five, well, I think they'll make the right choice there, but that will be interesting to see if they do, if they go offensive line. At six pick for, for Miami, it's going to be interesting to see if they go with the consensus, consensus top pick for wide receiver or if they go with familiarity. If I were the GM in Miami, I'd go with familiarity. Also, how 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 successful 
a quarterback and wide receiver duo that has that connection can be. Look at look at Tom Brady and Julian Edelman, who just recently retired. Julian Julian Edelman was not the best wide receiver in the league. Far from it. But he had that rapport with Tom Brady, and that's what made them so successful. What the what the Broncos and and Cowboys do, that's going to be pretty interesting to see uh what they do as well as uh as well as the Patriots. The Patriots as well are going to be very interesting to see where they go, where their priorities are. And then finally the the last team that that I'm looking out for to see what they end up doing uh, with their pick is Green Bay. Whether they make the right choice this time or if they further ostracize Aaron Rodgers. So there's my semi-mock draft. Uh, just my overall thoughts on they I'll have a full preview or a full review of what actually happened on Thursday next week along with a preview of week two, or round two, round two, rounds two and three, uh, next week right here on the show. So, I will take a quick break, and when I come back, we will talk about the controversy that ensued with the UEFA, with, not UEFA, but with the European Super League, that was announced this week and then subsequently quickly destroyed and what it means for both European soccer and also for uh, other uh, aspects around the sports world. So keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Hey, yo, you ready? Let's do it.
black what happened? They running around acting like the black don't care eat And you know what? what? For some strange reason uh, I'm off of this medication Feeling deranged meeting For y'all to put the word out we ain't leaving, we tryna be rich before we all stop breathing Therefore, we kinda hustle lame Stay laying down our muscle game Still turn your dreams to flames You got the wire, if not, I ain't saying no name You soon expire, no pain I feel remorse for some closest Me and Diddy up first, raising portions With the big twin valve exhausted On the cover of your vibe, double like sounds and talk Be everything, still glorious We still got warriors Still be the victorious See it's a lot of them, but it's more of us Still got cash to blow, raps to flow Still them cats to know Pack your flow, that's for sure The pop, the rock Play the background, handle my shot Holding my money to get Cars to flip, love it Place nothing above it, it's on like that Don't believe we ain't going like that We're always going to be here We there Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and with a little over 20 minutes left to go, I've got one. Actually, before I do that, let me just go through a few small notes uh, before I go into my final talking point of the morning. FCS playoffs will begin uh, tomorrow. Uh, the matchups are South Dakota State against Holy Cross, which that one I think South Dakota State more than likely wins. Southern Illinois against Weber State, going with Southern Illinois there. Delaware against Sacred Heart, got to go with Delaware. Davidson against Jacksonville State, got to go with Davidson. James Madison versus VMI, VMI going to go with James Madison there. Missouri State against North Dakota. Go with Missouri State. North Dakota State against Eastern Washington. Going to go with North Dakota State. And Monmouth against Sam Houston. Going to go with Monmouth there. NCAA has amended the overtime rules for next season. Have to go for two starting in the second overtime. And personally, I think that's way too early. I get they're trying to speed up the process, but... I I would have I would have just made it the third right right now it's technically after the third 
you know, prior to this ruling, it was after the third overtime. So the fourth overtime, you had to go for two. I would have moved it just back one. After the second overtime, you have to go for two. After one, I I think that's a little too quickly. And based on the responses on Twitter I saw this morning, before coming on it, or last night, it seems like many people are are in complete agreement with me, and they do not like the rule change at all. Uh, and also, you have to go for two. You just do back and forth two-point conversions uh, if both teams are tied after the second overtime. I get this. Uh, but see, here's the thing. Whether it comes with comes to the you know runner on second base thing or you know uh the the over the overtime rules are just getting so ridiculous and i understand that they're trying to cater to a younger audience and all of this even younger fans if you are truly a fan of the sport you're gonna want to watch overtime because of the excitement of it and I think this just but it this just diminishes that excitement. It makes these rules, whether it's baseball or football, it just makes it too tacky, too much of like a gimmick. It just it, it stinks. It it outright stinks. Pure and simple. And the more and more rules that are changed and games are bastardized more and more, I think it's going to have the opposite effect. It's not going to draw in those fan, those you know, people that these leagues want to draw in because they, they're never going to become sports fans. I'm just going to say it point blank. Those who are not sports fans when they are a young age, unless they, you know, interact with sports fans and they learn the game later on but even then they they will never be as huge of sports fans as those who grew up with it and those who grew up with it want it to be the way it is they don't like these changes so it, it it's just it, it's ridiculous uh Mike Jones is leaving Radford and going to UNC Greensboro as the new head basketball coach. That's a pretty good hire for UNC Greensboro. Tommy Spangler let go as the head football coach at Presbyterian. Kind of surprising. Uh, yeah, they've struggled a little bit, but you know it's going to be interesting to see who Presbyterian decides to get in there now. Uh, and SE State released their 2021 football schedule will travel to Clemson and New Mexico State as their two FBS games this season. Now, with a little over 15 minutes left to go, I am going to transfer transition over to some international football talk. And by football, I mean soccer. Some international soccer talk and for those of you who did 
who don't follow international soccer, uh, you know, all that much. The Super League was a league that was being formed by the top 12, uh, the top 12 teams, at least in terms of prestige, and not even all of them, uh, top 12 league teams in Europe. And they were going to break away from their both their domestic leagues and UEFA Champions League to create their own league. And there would be no promotion or relegation. It's going to be those teams and any other teams that they invite. And the fans hated it and stood up and put the kibosh on it almost immediately. This was announced, I think, on Tuesday. It was announced on, like, Monday or Tuesday. Or I think it was actually announced over the weekend. It was announced over the weekend, and by Tuesday, a couple of teams had already dropped out. And then by Wednesday, more teams dropped out. And by yesterday... It was destroyed. It was gone. It went up and immediately cracked. And I am so glad the fans stood up to stop this. It was a clear money and power grab by the top teams who wanted to stop competing. And I'm going to make a great comparison right here. This is exactly what is wrong with college football and, to a much lesser extent, college basketball. These Super League teams basically essentially wanted to do Power Five have done to FBS football. They wanted to say, we don't want to have to compete with who we deem as lesser than programs. We don't want to have to prove ourselves on the field. We make all the money because we're the name brand. And as a result, we should be able to make the rules. That's exactly what it's about. Precisely because certain teams within this, although the two biggest teams that were the most adamant about this, we're making the UEFA Champions League finals on a consistent basis anyway. So I don't really get it on that level, but that seems to be the whole impetus of this, is that they didn't want to have to compete against teams that they deemed as lesser than. And those two teams that I'm talking about that have been most adamant about this have been Real Madrid and Barcelona. They're already considered two of the top teams in Europe. Why not just simply prove it every year on the pitch? It doesn't make any sense for you to not want to have to compete. And this is exactly what the Power Five do in football, in college football, is they say, we don't want to compete. We're going to make it so that those 
teams we deem lesser than do not have a chance of competing, and they, and that's what they do. And here's a good example. Here's a good example, and I'm going to compare it to college football as well, for those of you who do not follow European soccer as much. Look at what the likes of Manchester United, which was one of the teams that was joining the Super League before it collapsed. Look what they, look what they have done in Europe over the last decade. Do they really deserve it to be in the elite league just purely based on the in the last decade, outside of 2011, where they made it to the finals, but lost, the furthest they made it to in the Champions League was the corner quarterfinals. And they didn't even make it into the Champions League three times in this past decade. Three out of ten years. Is that a team that really deserves to be in, in, a, in an elite league? that gets special treatment. I compare this to the likes of Michigan or Notre Dame. A team, teams that have the tradition and have the pageantry. You could also put USC in this grouping. Teams that have the tradition and have the perceived prestige but on the field, they haven't done much of anything in recent years. And as a result, you say, you say to yourself, do they really deserve to be that in that upper echelon that gets special treatment? I don't know. And that's why you need to have comp- real competition to determine that. Also, oh, you also have to take note, which is which was a good thing is that some of the top teams in Europe either A, weren't invited, or B, declined. The biggest one who they won the Champions League, they haven't won it in a while, but they won it in this decade, is Bayern Munich. They're one of the top teams in Europe. Yes, they're in a weaker uh country, but you would think, because of the fact that they're in a weaker country, that they would have been all over this. But no. The reason why they didn't join is because clubs are owned by the fans. And they said, hell no. And that's something that needs to start happening throughout sports here in the U.S. Now, obviously for college, it can't work. Although, in a way, theoretically, it could. You could have the students deciding or the faculty deciding. But there needs to be – there's only one fan-owned, fan-owned team in the U.S., and that's the Green Bay Packers. Now, granted, they make some boneheaded decisions as well. Just look at what they did last year and, you know, my my – theory about what they may do this year. But that's technically the general manager who was hired. But a fan-owned team, I think, would help reduce some of the issues that we see in professional sports. Like I mentioned, 
Prior to last season, uh, the last six UEFA Champions League finals have involved exclusively Super League teams. So I, so I don't even get why they're like. Well, it's it's not even so much a a, a comp. It, it's a competition thing, but it's like they feel like they're better than everyone else, and thus they feel like they don't need to compete. But when you ra- but I think almost every single sports fan, no matter what sport you're talking about, and this is why it irks me to no living end college football fans saying, you know, their their BS excuses about why the college football playoff is the best system, about how it, it makes sure that the true national champion wins it. No, it doesn't. You need to win you need to win on the field. As Herm Edwards said, you play to win the game. Terminate on the field. Doesn't matter what's on paper. God, you gotta you gotta determine who is the better team on the field. And as the saying goes, any given Sunday or any game given Saturday, a team can win. And it's even more so in pro sports than in college. But what I was most impressed about with this, and this is why the talk about you know uh, about oh the the government can't do anything about the NCAA or the NCAA can't do anything about the FBS about the about the college football playoff system. Look how quickly the government, the UK government, the Spanish government, took action against this and said no. You will not be doing this, and we will stop you by any means necessary. It could easily be done in the U.S. with college as well. Yes, it's a little different because college football has had this tradition of a separate league for a, for so long. This, Whereas this is new territory and the tradition in Europe has been focusing on the domestic leagues. I get that. I get that it's different. Because the traditionalists in the U.S., if they tried to change it, would say the opposite of what the traditionalists overseas are saying. But I still think the same, the same thing could be done to create a more fair and balanced system in the U.S. when it comes to college football than it would in than than many people claim. Think about it. This may not bode well and the the talks of this built up to a crescendo towards the end of the or towards the uh the the talks of this built to a crescendo back in uh back over the summer last year when there were when there was that uncertainty of whether or not uh fo- you know college football would be played and how it was going to work and different le- different conferences doing their own thing and et cetera et cetera et cetera fortunately it seems like it's 
the the concept has started to die down of the the Power Five breaking away from the NCAA and building their own league. But I wonder if this will have any impact on that. Whether this will make those those schools and those conferences in the Power Five say, hold on, can we actually do this? Now, it's a little different in the U.S. because they have so much control, and the government is not willing to step in, and it would be a big political battle in all of this. There are a lot of different factors when it comes to this whole thing. Does play it, it 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 does play a factor. It it does make a difference. So it's gonna be interesting to see if this has any impact on the US. But again, I'm glad that this happened that uh that um this that this uh did not uh you know that that this did not uh, happen. And the other thing I'm so glad about, and I'm glad that that you have stepped in and and condemned this, is because I really don't want to lose one of the best themes in all of sports, and that's the UEFA Champions League theme. So I will sign off with the UEFA Champions League theme today. And hope you guys enjoy. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. And I will talk to you next week right here on Sports Unlimited on Sunday Sports Network. So long, everyone.